welcome to the Keep It Clean podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Dane Gregory. The Keep It Clean podcast was developed around an idea of helping to inspire and motivate fellow cleaning professionals by listening to startup stories and histories of others in the business. Twice each month, we'll interview industry icons and colleagues to get their story of how they started in its oftentimes wonderful and sometimes painful business of cleaning things for other people. Hopefully, you will like, subscribe, and follow us so you never miss an episode. And hey, throw us a review if you wouldn't mind. As always, thanks for listening. On today's episode of the Keep It Clean podcast, we're going to be talking with Mike Dunmire, who owns Advanced Degree Carpet Cleaning. Mike lives in Lewis, Delaware with his wife Mary and their daughters Summer and Skye and their dogs Max and Finn. Mike has an MBA from Duke University and a BA in Economics from Washington and Lee University. He has served on the boards of directors for Ocean Champions, the country's only political organization focused solely on oceans, the National Aquarium in Baltimore, chairing their conservation committee, and the Center for Inland Bays. He has also served as commissioner for the town of Dewey Beach. Mike loves spending time with his family on Delaware's incredible beaches, surfing, playing sports, and laughing with friends. But we're going to talk with Mike about his startup in the carpet cleaning industry right after this. Welcome to the Keep It Clean podcast. I'm your host, Dan Gregory. Today, we have one of your industry colleagues with us. His name is Mike Dunmire. And I'm going to let Mike explain a little bit about who he is when we get him on the podcast. But hey, Mike, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate you taking the time. How are you doing so far? Oh, fabulous, Dane. Well, thanks so much for inviting me on the podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of yours, and it's nice to be able to come on and have this conversation with you. Oh boy, a fan of mine. We haven't had one of those in a long time, so I appreciate that. Well, Mike, we're going to start out with a basic question I ask all of the guests on the Keep It Clean podcast is, what was the thought process you had, or what was your thinking, if you will, of why you decided to get into the business of cleaning things for other people? Well, Dana, to, to really answer that question, I've got to go back a little ways in my own story, because it's it's a little unusual how I came around to this, but I actually was was in the corporate world for a long, long time and had a, a good degree of success. I wound up being a vice president for a very large company and had uh, one of those careers where every two years I was thrown at something completely different than anything I'd ever done before, given a lot of autonomy to go ahead and build the organization necessary to attack whatever challenge it was that I was, I was to take on. And I loved it. I had the opportunity to, to create build, grow, work with really dynamic, motivated people, and, and really enjoyed it. But even with all that, I, I got to the point where I felt like I'd done everything that I could do in the corporate world. And at the time, I was serving on the board of directors for a small but national political organization that focused solely on ocean issues. And the guy who was the founder found out that I was interested in potentially leaving the corporate world and was looking for other ideas and approached me and said, you know, if, if you were really interested in moving on, I would love to have you as my partner. And uh, I grew up around the ocean. I've, I've always wanted to give back and MBAs don't always get these opportunities. So I, I jumped at the chance, took a, a, a big cut in pay to go work for this organization and really do what I thought was soul enriching work. And, and it was wonderful. Did that for about five and a half years. So this is a group that worked with both Republicans and Democrats, would endorse and financially support members of Congress or candidates that would be good on ocean issues, regardless of which party. And then like any group of evil lobbyists, we would work with the folks that we had built relationships with to try to promote pro-ocean legislation and defeat things that would be harmful to the ocean. And we had a lot of success electorally. We had some decent success legislatively. 
And I really, really enjoyed that. But I'm, I'm a restless soul. And again, I got to the point where I felt like I had done everything I could for this organization. I helped get it to a, a different level of scale, raised our, our, our level of impact and our footprint. And during that time, I had moved from Washington, D.C. down to the Delaware coastal area. And it's a really interesting mix of resort area beaches and rural communities. And I, I wound up doing my political work from here for a couple of years. And then when I decided, you know, I've got one last itch to scratch. And that's to see if I could take a small business and make it something unique. And in this area, this is not the area where complicated ideas fly. This is where basic home services are the dominant opportunity that's out there. And I was looking around for businesses for sale, thinking about what do I want to do? And I saw this little one truck, one guy operation, uh, hot steam carpet clean, and, and thought, All right, I wonder if I could do that. And I, I took a look at the competition. And what I saw was that pretty much everybody out there was competing on price, trying to make it up by jamming as many jobs into a day as they could and focusing really on speed and efficiency. How fast could they get in and out of someone's home and do a competent job? And I thought, you know, there's really no one out there that's delivering this as a super premium, carpet, tile, upholstery, detailing, rather than just cleaning. Uh, and I thought, you know what? I would love to go and see if I could offer this uh, as a unique, very highly differentiated service, if the market would would respond. So I bought the company. I became the one guy in the truck. I literally went, Dane, from dining with senators and congressmen to going and cleaning people's homes. And it was really cathartic because you could spend a year on Capitol Hill working on an issue and feel like you never made any headway. But instead, in this world, I could go and I could walk into someone's home and it wouldn't look that great. And you could tell from their body language that they, they weren't happy. They were a little embarrassed even to have me see this. But I would go and do what I did. I would work very hard, apply the expertise I had, and the work would be transformational. And you wouldn't then just see it in the home. You could see it on the mm-hmm. customer's face. All of a sudden, their, their head's up. Their eyes are brighter. You know, you can see there's bounce in their step that they really appreciate it. But there's evidence that I was here today. I helped make someone's home a better place and it really felt good. So it wasn't that, as you say, it wasn't that I set this course for carpet cleaning. It was, as you can see, a very, very roundabout way. I joke about how I'm an unusual carpet cleaner and that I have an MBA. <laughs> yes, but, I would say that. Yeah. <laughs> but from the, the community that I was in, it seemed like a very good opportunity. It's, and it's, it's played out very well and it's, it's been a lot of fun. What a fantastic story that is, because you're coming at this from a very different angle than I would say the majority of the industry that I've dealt with in the past is coming from. Typically, I'm coming from people that have some college education, maybe a high school education, such as myself. So you, you have a lot of different ways you get into this. And your story is going to be rather unique because of the fact that you have an MBA. So you're looking at the business world from a different point of view from day one, rather than a carpet cleaner who finally realizes, you know what, I got to understand what a profit and loss statement is. Uh, I really need to know how to read my balance sheet. That may come 10 years after cleaning. So you're coming and knowing that information on day one. So that's interesting to me because I think you don't see a lot of that coming from the other way. You found it cathartic because you were able to see a reaction immediately from the client knowing that you accomplished something that day. And, and I hear that as a, 
a, a normal thing. I love to see the smiles on my customers' faces. You went as far as body language. And so you found getting out of where you were, which I'm going to assume lobbyists make reasonable money. I, I, I don't know that for a fact because I've never been one or been around one, but I'm sure they do okay. Did you have to take a pretty good size slice in the income level to start a cleaning business? Well, I mean, when I when I went from the corporate world to lobbying, the, the group that I was with was a nonprofit. We were okay. we were evil lobbyists for the ocean, and the ocean doesn't pay well. So we had, okay. we had to raise all of our money to go do this. I, I took about a 70% cut in pay to go from the corporate world to doing the lobbying work. But the reality is, and anyone who starts their own business knows this, you then take a 100% cut in pay because every day you've you've got to establish what your salary is going to be. You've got to go out there and, and earn it. There's no one that's going to give it to you. So uh, yeah, fortunately, buying the business, I was profitable year one. It was still a step down from where I had been doing the political work. But there are also advantages from owning your own mm-hmm. company in terms of how much of that you can actually keep and so on and so forth. But I was fortunate that you know my wife and I both were not big spenders. We had saved and invested our money well. So I had some fallback as I was building the business up to a level of scale that would actually support us. Okay. That's good for you because again, that's not a story that I hear very often. So I'm always glad to hear from different perspectives. So let the listeners then know, how did you, you know, begin the train moving down the track? Once you took over the business, what was your strategy for going out and marketing this? Well, it's it's interesting, Dane. You actually, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you played a, a, a pretty big role in helping solidify what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. The, the gentleman that I bought the business from had worked with someone who had been in the industry for like 15 years. He had been doing it for five years. He taught me everything that he knew, but I'm very curious. And I felt like that was just scratching the surface. There was a lot more to know. And I was going to be presenting this as a super premium. So I really needed to understand a whole lot more about that. Now, I guess we can kind of talk about that later on, but that was a part of how I wanted to market the company. I started out, the guy who I had bought it from had a website that had been set up by kind of a ripoff SEO company. It was horribly done to the point where you had multiple, you had words repeated over and over and over to try to get a boost on Google's rankings for content. And Google actually punishes that. Poor graphics, poor usability. And and he was also participating in a money mailer, which is a local kind of coupon clipper type book. Those are his two channels. So the first thing I wanted to do was establish a much more professional web presence because it was my assumption, and it's turned out to be true, that the majority of people that are looking for this, push marketing isn't always the best way to reach them. They're going to reach out to you when they decide that they need cleaning. And for that, most people these days are going to the web. You needed to have a a strong professional website. So went and found a a development firm that I really liked, worked with them on concept, uh, at the same time, I was changing the, the logo, the color scheme, the physical branding of the company. So working that into the website as well. So we you know, got that established, strong content SEO, the way that it's supposed to be done, very professional website. And got it to where anybody who put in a generic search term, you know, carpet cleaning, steam cleaning, whatever the case may be, was going to find us. We were going to be on the first page. And if they clicked on that, they were probably going to give us a call. And then if they were 
calling us, I needed a way over the phone to let them know this is going to be a different experience. And so the scripting and, and how I wanted to communicate with customers was important. I'd started out, I continued the subscription in this coupon clipper type book, but very quickly realized that this was completely wrong for our brand. If we were the super premium brand, we're not the brand that you, sh- that you should see get four rooms for X dollars, get this thrown in with that, this for that coupons were not the way to do it. That actually was damaging to our brand. So I ended that relationship, thought about what our pricing policy was going to be, and then you know started moving through, forward through different channels. I've, I've done marketing experiments every year. So I did uh, some mass mailings to some customer lists that I had that first year. Try the coupon clipper. I have some Google ads that are running off of the search terms that are more specific and less generic that might not get them to my first page. But that first year was kind of focused on just getting the web established and figuring out what channels made sense. Through time, other things have, well, I've tried other things. Some have been successful, some not. The things that I think are very important, I joined a local business networking group. And what I've joined is BNI, which is international. They're all over the place. It's a group of, of professionals. You only have, you'll have one from each business classification. You get to know one another. If you're good, then you refer one another around and help develop business that way. It's been, that's been a really good channel for me. It allows people to get to know me, get to know our brand, have a lot of faith in what we do and open some doors for us that way. I cold called the heck out of the commercial side. Hotels, restaurants, club rooms, doctor's offices, retail establishments. Whenever I wasn't cleaning that first six months before I started to hire people, I was pounding the pavement, going to try to do what I could to directly raise business and brought on about a dozen hotels in that in the first couple of years. And that was tremendously helpful. I've done radio. And I think radio is good for brand building. It's not good for transactional marketing. So if someone is just starting out, referral networks, cold calling, and web, I think is is the the most cost-effective way that you can can do this. But as you start to grow, things like radio, I think for just getting your name in, in people's ears frequently over and over again with the right framing to present your brand can be helpful. But just starting out, I think the direct methods are, are much more useful. I've done some print. I've been in magazines. I've been in what are really the more high-end coffee table type magazines. Again, consistent with that brand. I've looked at TV. I think maybe a little bit too soon for that. And with our area being so rural, it doesn't necessarily hit the right specific geographic locales, but in time, we'll, we'll see. Okay. I hope that answers well, the question. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so it was interesting to hear that. My daughter does a lot of that information in her industry. And so I, I kind of listen when she's talking, but sometimes I zone out because it's not something that I'm that familiar with. And so I appreciate you kind of bringing that up to the listeners because most of the guys I've been talking to are older that have been doing it for a longer period of time. And back in the eighties, we did it differently when we started this we you could knock on doors. You could get a yellow page ad and, and things like that. You just don't have available to you today. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back. And we're going to talk about the different markets that you practice in and, and how you find those different markets. So uh, we'll be right back with Mike Dunmire after a, a word from one of our sponsors. I can see it now. Your cleaning company markets on social media, but you're not seeing the results you'd hoped for. 
You often wonder about what to post and if another before and after will finally convert more sales. Hi, I'm Ashley Gregory Hackett. I'm a digital marketing coach and I grew up in the cleaning industry. In fact, you're listening to my dad's podcast right now. I've created a solution for cleaning business marketers that takes the struggle out of social. The content cleanup. 50 done for you social media templates that will allow you to set your social in as little as five minutes a week. Along with my proven spotless social system, you'll spend less time on your social media with bigger results. For a limited time, the content cleanup is available at a significant discount. Don't wait. Visit ashleythecoach.com slash content cleanup. Hey, we're back on the Keep It Clean podcast. I'm your host, Dan Gregory. We've got Mike Dunmeyer with us today telling us about his marketing strategy for his service company located on the coast in Delaware. So, Mike, thanks for talking about how you brought your stuff together with marketing and the uh, initial thing when you took over the company. What changed in that first year to where you find yourself today? What did you learn from that marketing piece that you're currently doing now moving forward into new markets or different markets from from when you started? Well, I mean, it's so interesting. One of the things I've I've got to come back to. So as you mentioned up top, I've got an MBA. I had a lot of experience in the business world. And so I came in with a sense that, you know what, marketing, finance, how hiring, training, leadership, management, all of that, I've got that dialed. It's the other stuff I need to figure out. And it certainly has been helpful to have that background, but there is so much <laughs> about what we do that is so different and so outside of what I was. There was still a lot on the business side that I had to learn. And so people that don't have my background, they'll still do fine. There's still so much that even knowing what I knew, I had to come in and get from the ground up. And the first was really about the six-month period is where I had built the business to be large enough that I could begin to hire employees and transition from owner-operator-delivered owner service to employee-delivered service. So then how you actually find employees that are going to be able to deliver on the level of your brand and figuring out how to interview, identify, interview, hire, and then onboard these folks Directly or indirectly, I probably hired over a thousand people in, in my business career. So again, I thought I'm really good at this. I had a great success rate. <laughs> oh, it's so much harder. <laughs> it's so much harder in this world. Just figuring out the right way to interview people to find those characteristics that you can tra- that you believe will equate to success, and then figuring out which characteristics really do. I think a lot of people talk about this. The challenge always is finding enough people that will deliver the service the way that you do. And and for the way that we do it as a super premium, I'm looking for really bright, energized folks that will engage really not as clock punching employees, but engage like owners. And so finding them and then setting up the right motivational structure to really incent the right behaviors, onboarding them effectively so that we could in a three-month period get folks up to speed where they could deliver the service the way that we do. Those were big challenges. And then, you know, as we mentioned on the marketing side, finding the right channels to find the right customers. And website, as I mentioned, is, is so, so important. Each year when I look at the metrics, better than 50% of our new customers are still people that just found us through Google searches. Another 
10 to 15% are coming in off of those Google ads words. And then you've got a strong word of mouth. Customer referrals, usually about 25% of the business coming in. So again, the the job that you do, Mm -hmm. pleasing a customer has lasting effects either for the good or for the bad. And as I mentioned, the push marketing, mailings, radio, things like that, not really bringing in a lot of business. It's much more of a, you need to be there, findable and credible when they're ready to look for you. And how I would have approached things from a marketing perspective in the corporate world, from the the marketing perspective and social marketing perspective in the political world, all that was out the door. How I needed to, to present this company, find people and develop our brand is a completely different idea than everything that I'd learned back in business school. Hmm. So you had an idea going in that I've got this pretty well dialed and I've done okay in my other careers, but you found out that the service industry is uniquely different. It's funny, another Delaware company that people probably heard of called DuPont. Back in the day when I was involved as a volunteer in the industry, I was at a trade show next to a DuPont booth with a corporate type in the booth. And they were getting into the cleaning industry at that point in time. DuPont had some ideas of how they wanted to basically make it a corporate type carpet cleaning company. And they did not do well in this world of mostly mom and pop type companies, the small single truck operations, corporate entities sometimes don't always do well with this. And because they're looking at it from different perspectives. Some of us might call them bean counter type personalities that were coming into it. And you're finding that that certainly wasn't anything that worked well in this industry because of the way the industry set up. Not the fact that I've always said in my classes that there's no wrong business model. There's just a price to pay for the one you choose. You can be a low price carpet cleaner and you can work on volume and you can probably be okay if you can create that atmosphere that you need to do that. I think it's easier going the route, well, not necessarily easier, but there's another challenge to it. But there's another thing to be said about going into the higher end market or what you call the super premium market that you may have less customer base, but you can be more profitable on every job. And so there's, again, no wrong way to do it, but you're talking about the different ways that you did. So that was one of the things you learned in the first year was employee onboarding and the things you talked about. What other things do you think that you learned in the first year that were different from what you thought coming in? Well, I'll pull back for one second because here I, I want to talk about you a little bit. Because again, the, the first thing, if I'm going if I'm going to create a brand that legitimately is delivering the service at a significantly higher level than other options in my market, then I needed to know a lot more than I did, a lot more than what the person that I bought the company from was able to teach me. And I, I looked around in books. I, I tried to find different ideas to build what that, you know, if I was going to build a BMW and not a 1980 Yugo, <laughs> mm-hmm. I needed to know how to build that BMW and I didn't. And so I signed up for your CCT class and your teaching was phenomenal in the first place. It, it gave me much more of a window into the chemistry of cleaning, which is critically important to really understand that, to be able to know what you're doing solve problems in the field like a CSI guy and get carpets as good as they can possibly be. But we had a lot of conversations that were one-offs, Dane, and you talked to a lot of people, so you not you may not remember this, but I certainly do. And I was kind of throwing ideas at you, at you that I had for how I could differentiate what really made a difference, 
what had you seen that really worked? And I've come up with what is, it's kind of an IICRC hybrid, my own proprietary process, but you were the one that helped me develop that, first of all, in terms of what was, how, how were we going to go and clean that would be this legitimately super premium model that would outperform other people? What would it take to do that? But then you also gave me the confidence to go and try it. Because in this world where you see a lot of mimicking and and then a lot of times it's presented as more of a commodity service, and that's that price competition, it was those conversations with you and the intel and the expertise you shared with me that gave me the ideas to fulfill that promise and the confidence to go do it. And so I really owe you a huge debt of gratitude for that. But then again, that first year, I changed the way that I hired and onboarded people. I changed the way that I paid them. I was experimenting with different things, again, to find the right motivational process. I changed how I was trying to reach customers. And to speak specifically about that, I mean, the commercial side has been kind of the same. That That's cold calling. That's delivering on a promise. That's building relationships with management and looking for opportunities to grow with companies that have multiple locations. But the majority of our business, probably 80% is residential. And, and that, again, is about relationships, but it's a very different kind of relationship. In most businesses, you're not going into someone's home, <laughs> but here you are. And mm-hmm. so there's a huge element of trust that's critically important. And it's when you're cleaning for someone, it's very personal. And I think that changes the way that you need to engage with your customers the way that you need to coach your people to engage with your customers and the kind of relationship that you build. And that really influences everything else that you do. And so we want the experience that someone has with us to be really different than anything they're going to experience in a home services area from the first time that they call us to how we engage with them, to how we communicate leading up to the job, to how the team engages with them and then performs the services in their home, to how we follow up to make sure that they were thrilled with everything that happened to what we do. And there's rare occasions where something didn't turn out as good as they had hoped. That's a cycle and it it needs to be imbued with respect and commitment to that final objective, which is a customer that feels like everything is as good as it could possibly be. Wow. You gave a lot of insight in that comment about different things that you picked up along the way and looking at it for customer experience from beginning to end. And, and I don't know that a lot of cleaners think about that. I, I don't know that they physically put that process in motion like that. So it, it's interesting to hear, you know, you talk about it that way. Yeah, I think that there's obviously some, you've looked at this, I think, through a different eye than a lot of other cleaners coming into the marketplace do. And I appreciate your insight on on that side of it, because I think that's something that's somewhat missing, I think, a lot from the customer's perspective. When I was training people in my janitorial business, we had a couple of large accounts where the bathrooms were the number one thing. And I read an article one time about taking a customer's eye view of things. And so I said to the guy, when you're finished cleaning the bathroom stall, turn around and sit down and see what you missed. And I don't have the power in my mind. You're very well spoken too, by the way. And you can tell that you were a lobbyist at some point. And people, <laughs> they listen to what you say because you have a very distinct way of saying it. And that I think from a communication point of view helps a lot too with your internal customers, your employees and your external customers. And then knowing what you want to say 
scripting yourself to be perfectly spoken every time, I think is a big part of that. So looking at it, taking it from the customer's perspective is really the issue we need to have. So excellent. All right. So what other insights can you throw our way as far as you mentioned commercial versus residential? How are you practice now? What kind of percentages would you have between residential and commercial opportunities? So it, it stayed pretty consistent over the last three, four years where we're 80% residential, 20% commercial. And I honestly wish that it, we had a higher percentage of commercial and we haven't simply because the residential side took off so fast and it, it continues to take a lot of time to manage that to the level of excellence that I want to have. I mentioned earlier that, of course, the biggest challenge in this is finding the, the right employees to come and, and really fill, create a strong team that's going to consistently deliver brand level excellence. And I've been able to hold serve. We've had a, a strong set of pillars of senior people that we've been able to keep. And then for a while, we had a rotating set of junior people. Where we could never find that second set of people that had the ceiling to elevate to what we needed them to be. And then we, we hit a point this last year where we lost a couple senior people that had been with us for quite a while. And so we had to rebuild. I went back out on the trucks again. The guy who had become my right-hand man, who was employee number one, who's still with me, he was back out on the trucks again. And that obviously prevents you from going and doing more cold calling and, and things right. like that. I'm so proud that what we've built now, I think we're the strongest we have ever been coming out of, of 2020, that the, the excellence and depth that I've got across all of our employees and, and the level of buy-in is unlike we, what we've ever had. And I think that's going to allow us to become more aggressive with our growth again going forward and potentially expand to, to new markets. But what that should also give me the ability to do is go back and do what I was really effective at those first few years, which is going and cold calling building those relationships on the commercial side. And for uh, folks that are in mid-Atlantic or northern climates like I am, well, that you know so well, Dane, in the wintertime, the residential side of the business can fall off some, but that's typically, especially in a resort area like this, where the commercial side will step up because hotels, restaurants, things like that, that's when they're not busy. And so they can have us. In. So the bigger portfolio of commercial businesses I've got, it's counter-cyclical to my residential business, the more consistent demand we've got for our service month to month to month. Hmm. So again, I would love it to be more 30, 35% commercial, and we'll see if we can get there over the next couple of years. Hmm. Interesting. We're going to take a quick break here and come back. I want to talk more about the senior employee versus junior employee concept that you brought up. I'm intrigued by that. And I want to hear a little bit more in depth on that. So we'll be back after a word from our sponsor. Carpet Cleaner America's counter-rotating brush technology began in Austria in 1979 and continues today to be a force in the industry all across the world. Our CRV machines are sold in over 58 countries and several territories. These machines are legendary, dependable, and built to last a lifetime and perhaps longer. With all that history comes a bit of wisdom. Our machines are dependable enough to help you get more from your carpet cleaning process. Use our Pro or TM series machines to accomplish any number of tasks in your clients' homes or businesses. From carpet to tile to vinyl floors and yes, even hardwood, with our dry compound cleaning media, Carpet Cleaner America machines work on them all. From pile lifting to deep vacuuming, from agitating your pre-spray before extraction cleaning, 
to low moisture encapsulation. From carpet to tile, we brush it all. And we pick it up too. Ask your local distributor for an Austrian machine made to last a lifetime. Or find us at carpetcleaner-usa.com. Hey, we're back with Mike Dunmeyer on the Keep It Clean podcast. And before we broke, we were talking about junior employee versus senior employee type thing. Mike, can you expand on that a little bit? Because it sounds fascinating. You run in senior employees, and then you look to find junior employees to kind of fill in those spaces and give them something to move into. I'm intrigued by how you staffed your company like that. Sure. So like any organization, you've got people that have more expertise, and we wanted to come at this in a structured way where we're kind of moving people through levels of expertise. In so doing, making sure that we've always got at least one person who's a senior level on a, on a job so that we know that we can cover anything that might we might come across and continue to open up opportunities for that person to grow while bringing our new hires up to our, our brand level as quickly as possible. So when we bring people in, we bring them in technically as associates. And at that associate level, we focus just on the support level function. So this is helping to stage the furniture so that we can move it around, either moving or preparing it to be staged, doing the pre-vacuuming, helping to, to move hoses in and out of the home, getting equipment, things like that, while the senior technician is able to focus on the more complex actions that are involved in, in doing the cleaning. So you know, pre-treating, and again, another junior level responsibilities, we groom in the pre-treatment and we will we'll fall on our sword for grooming until everything is fully dissolved and suspended because I think that's a huge game changer. And for the first two weeks, the new hires, they're really only doing this. And so it allows them to see the whole function, do things that can do no harm on a customer site and fulfill real, add real value that way. And we can start to teach them everything else. They get a review every day on how they're doing from the senior person that they're with. And at the end of the two week period, they'll tell me, okay, so and so, they've got all this mastered. They're ready to take the test. We give them the test. They get 100%. They move to phase two of the training. If they don't get 100%, they stay there another week. But most people do. And level two is where we get into all the IICRC things, truly the chemistry of cleaning, the different fabric types, all the complexities of the different types of cleaning that we do. And we've actually added wood floor cleaning now to our carpet tile and upholstery service. And as we go into each each engagement, the senior person is doing a lot of coaching now. So they're trading off more. The senior person is still taking the more complex things, but they're coaching and they're going to get a review at the end of every week based upon where they are, what we still need to work on going forward. And we'll continue to emphasize those elements. By the end of three months, although it's really up to the person, they can they can proceed as aggressively, well, I should say it this way, how fast they get through that second phase is entirely up to them. At the end of three months, if they haven't done it, well, then we're probably talking about this really isn't the right job for you. But by three months, they should again have the senior person say, you know what, they've got this nailed, they're ready to take the test. Again, they take that test, they get the 100%. Then they are, in our, in our minds, they're a full technician at this point. We then will go and get them IICRC certified. So they'll go through a class similar to what you put me through. They'll take that test. They need to pass that test. But our training continues. And we will give someone senior level distinction when we know that if they had to go out by themselves without a helper, they could handle anything that they could run into. 
absolutely, regardless of how crazy it was, they could do anything. And, and when you pass that three-month period, you've taken the test, you're a full technician. We're still every six months doing performance-based reviews, setting up objectives, trying to push people to that level. It's typically at the end of a year that someone has reached senior level status and we feel like, you know what, there's nothing they can't hit out of the park, as well as all the customer management aspects as well. Okay. That is fascinating to me because I've never heard anyone be that structured in the training program that, that I've encountered. I'm sure there's some out there that, that have been, but that's interesting to me. So I guess the natural then question from there is, what does your recruitment process look like? So there are various channels that I have found to be fairly rich for getting resumes, for getting responses. Indeed has been a good source for me. I've tried one ads in the local newspaper. It hasn't been great. I've tried other job boards that haven't been great. Indeed has been good for, for our purposes, as well as kind of friends and family. Although what's interesting is people will be that work, work for us will be very honest about, I know my friends. I love my friends. They're not good enough to come here. They won't do this the way that we want to. But we'll get a lot of resumes through Indeed, and I'll go through those. And out of every 30 I get, there may be 15 that I think, all right, they're worth a phone call. And so we'll set up a phone interview and just 30 minutes, try to figure out, do they have the characteristics that we're looking for that would lead to success here? If they do, there'll be about three that I'll invite back for face-to-face interviews, and then we'll do the face-to-face interview. And assuming that we find a fit, then that person gets hired. They come in their first day, they get a few hours of training for that associate level stuff, along with an employee manual that includes chemistry of cleaning things, IICRC supplements, our process descriptions, descriptions of the jobs, how to deal with break fix for issues with our specific equipment thing, all that. Wow. And then we have presentations and classes that we'll go through at various points during those three months. Like I mentioned from there, we went through the training. At the end of three months, if they haven't, then it's effectively, they're counseled out. We've loved having you. We can keep you for a little while longer, but it's kind of up or out. You have to continue to elevate. I used to have people work a tryout as a part of the interview process. And what I would always say is that this is as much for you as it is for us. What we want to look and see is how you approach work. We expect you to be bad at this, and we're not going to put you in a position to do any harm. We're going to let you see what the job is about. You've never tried it before, so you're not going to be great. Let's just go and see. You won't do anything that the senior person can't get back to brand standard and make sure that everything is okay. But I wanted them to see exactly what the job was because if mm-hmm. I was going to invest all of the time and money that I was, in them that I was prepared to do, I wanted them to be sure that they were going to buy into this job. What I found was that it created a a hiring process that was just too long. And there was no correlation between people that went through a process, went through the the tryout and said, yeah, I want to do this to the number of people that actually really did get it and really did buy in and invest and become good employees. So the tryout, it didn't solve the, it didn't answer the question for me of, do they know what they're getting into? Are they willing to buy in? So now it's, it's a little bit leaner. But resumes to phone interview to face to face to beginning that structured onboarding. And then they find themselves in that constant level of training program. I'm sure even your senior people go through continuous improvement processing to make sure that they're getting newer information or that they still got the fundamentals in play and things like that. That's 
That's fantastic, Mike. I'm, I'm very glad to hear that I've got a colleague now that I can refer to and say, this is how this guy's training program works. You should, you should look into that because I think that's, that's fantastic. So absolutely. And if I can, if I can rudely interrupt for a sec, just to say too, I mean, I'm not the one who's built this company. We all have as a team and I'm tremendously proud of what we as a team have built. But as we tell people, this is flat. I'm still learning. I'm still questioning things. We've reworked our urine remediation process three times, constantly looking for better and better effectiveness. And as I've told people just the other day, the person we've most recently hired, if they were out on the job with me, they should have no hesitation at all about saying to me, Mike, I think you missed a spot. Mike, I think this thing right here, we could do a little bit better. We all are holding each other accountable and we none of us should ever be satisfied with however good we are on that on that day. We should always be looking for ways to get better. And the people that have been with us for a while, every single one of them has come up with an innovation that has elevated our level of service. It's a woman that we, we hired about five months ago who just came up with an idea that I don't know why we didn't have it sooner, but she, she spoke it into being. <laughs> it is now hmm. part of our standard practice and it, it has helped. So it's, it's a team effort, but you're right. You're never satisfied. You're always learning. I'm sure even you, I have some moments like, aha. Well, I'm doing that right now with my virtual training and my Zoom calls and my editing and, and all those things. I, I find myself, though, as someone who has always been interested in, in the learning part of things. For me, it was always the why. I could go to product training and I can hear people you know, say, take this product and put it in that bucket and do this with it. And my question was, why that product? Why that amount? Why that bucket, for, for, for lack of a better term? I wanted to know the reasons I was doing things to feel that I felt that I was able to make better decisions while I was out in the field. And so when, when I started my company, one of the things I did was I worked on our prime, a premier job site for three years working nights to make sure that whatever was brought to me was something that I've encountered before, that I've done it. And I felt more comfortable in that space when I, when I knew that I had done it. And I think you're coming from the owner-operator perspective the same way of you've seen things, but you haven't seen everything. And so your team built your company to get to this point. And, and just to refresh my memory, how long have you been in business now when you started? So this we're beginning our eighth year. Okay. Yeah, I knew it wasn't real, a really long time, but it's uh, long enough to know some things that work and some things that don't work. So in that time frame, have you looked at this in perspective and said, I think we've got a good recipe here. I think we're on to something about moving this forward because we've met one time at the class that I want to say it was in Charles, South Carolina, if I'm not mistaken, where we had the class at Carolina Chemical, which was a very good customer of mine and, and still is, they're still friends. And then we've had a couple of email interactions back and forth with different scenarios you found yourself in and, and little things like that. So we haven't had a lot of time to speak about your company and how it's come forward. But there was something that told me when we had those conversations at the class that you were going to be good at this because you just ask different questions than I normally get. And right away, I had to go to you and say, what's different about you that you're asking me this when nobody else has ever asked me that question? Because I'm always uh, challenged by that. I like to see things that are outside the norm of what I run into. And, and I've said that before. There's a, there's a few companies out there, franchise groups, for example. I know there's a few that are run by people who have MBAs. And they ask different level questions. 
because you have a better understanding of the business side going in than some of the other carpet cleaners that I've run into, myself included. It took me a long time to come up with the idea of what does that mean from a business perspective? So at some point, have you gotten to that point where you feel you've got the right recipe or is this something that's going to continually evolve for you? I'll, I'll answer that a couple of ways. So I just went through this year and I redrafted my strategy from the ground up. And I, 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 like, I like to use a tool called a strategy map that puts your entire strategy on one page graphically. And I'd done this when I started the company. And, but I, I didn't look back at that. It had been several years since I had. I wanted to create this whole cloth and then compare it and see. And what was really interesting was there was probably 80% overlap between the strategy that I initially laid out and what I laid out this year after having done it for seven years. But the specifics of how I wanted to do it and how I was going to measure it were very different. Hmm. And that speaks to the learning over that time. So I think, I think we've got 90% of the recipe that we're going to build from, but there's, there's that will to always be looking better, to always be getting better, to always right now evaluating wands again. Are there, are there new wands we can take advantage of that are going to up our performance and things like that? But process-wise, how we train, how we look for people, how we engage the customer, what our pricing policies are. All of that can continue to evolve over time, but I, I really, I'm, I'm pretty confident that the model we have at this point is a good one to grow with. That's excellent. And then you said you're going to come at it from another way? Oh, um, yeah. So, I mean, looking first at how I crafted the strategy initially. So, yeah, to answer your question, I feel like the strategy is still on point, but how we execute it is different and how we measure it is different. And where I feel like that's that's pretty well baked. There's always the possibility to, to take things apart and put them back together again and see. Interesting. Yeah, I'm thinking along those lines. I remember saying to some of my staff at some point in time, if it's not broke, I want to break it and put it together in a different way. Just because I did an interview with Rick Love a little bit ago, and he said the same thing. He's not someone, he doesn't consider himself a businessman. He considers himself an entrepreneur. He likes to start things and grow things, but he's not content with just letting them sit by and, and have some organic growth. He wants to get out and, and hunt something new. He, he enjoys that part of it. I put myself kind of in that category. Where do you find yourself in, in using those analogies? Are you the hunter or are you the person who's pretty content with having that model and then watching that thing grow and, and nurturing it? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm very much the hunter. As I mentioned at the beginning, I had one of those careers in the corporate world where every two years I was thrown at something completely different than anything I'd ever done. Sometimes these were things I had brought to my higher ups and said, there's an opportunity here, or this area is a mess and we need to address it. Sometimes they were opportunities that were brought to me, but it was always different. And every time I attacked a new area, it required me coming up to speed in a completely different discipline. And when I left that and went into the political space, again, that was completely unlike anything that I had ever done before. And I've always loved that challenge of coming up to speed in a new space, becoming really good at something that you knew nothing about a moment ago. And I'm a very restless soul and need new challenges. So going into this profession and starting cleaning at the outset 
was it was very much a challenge coming up to speed and there are elements of it that have remained a challenge but my biggest frustration has been that I have not been able to elevate to the level that I've wanted to at the speed with which I, I had planned. And that gets back to, again, having enough of the people that know how to deliver the brand level excellence and can handle any situation and have the right support beneath them. I have done almost no marketing the last few years because I've been 90, 90 capacity, 97% of capacity, 100% of capacity. I have no new space, but I won't add trucks beyond what we have right now until I know that I've got the people that are going to be able to deliver on our, on our excellence. What I'm so excited about now is that I feel like I've got the team where at the end of the year, we're going to have more people. I'm going to be able to do that. And in the last couple of years, I actually did go out and went through all the processes to legally and operationally be ready to sell franchises of my business hmm. because I want, that was the next thing I wanted to attack. I didn't want to just be the best in our region or, or the best in our territory. I wanted to be the best in a region, multi-state and potentially nationwide. And then COVID came along and no one is really buying and selling franchises right now. So I've mm -hmm. scaled that back going into 2022. That's something to look at again. But I also want to look at opening new markets organically by just taking and investing in peripheral markets. So we're in Southern Delaware. We have a lot of customers down here that come from Washington, DC, Baltimore, Philly, and Wilmington. I would love to take a team, put them in another city business and start to go at it that way. So that's the hunter in me is I'm never satisfied with where I am. I want to take on these bigger challenges. And to me now, the challenge is about scale and taking the brand from a local brand to a regional and I'm probably too old to go national, <laughs> but oh, I don't know about that. throw it into a regional level. Interesting. Well, we're going to take one last break. I want to come back and get some final thoughts from me here. So we'll be back on the Keep It Clean podcast with Mike Dunmire. Hi, I'm Larry Cooper. I'm with the Experience Events. We have a great show coming up in Charleston, South Carolina, and that will be April 19th, 20th, and 21st. Just want to tell you a little bit about it, but I also want to thank my friend, Dane Gregory, for uh, giving us this opportunity to talk to you a little bit about our show. Dane does great work in the industry. We're always excited to work with him, and we're looking forward to having him on our program in Charleston in April. The Experience is a show that specializes in hands-on experiences. And during these times, it's been a little challenging, but we've been working for nine months, working on how we're going to have a great show and a safe show. And we welcome you to come join us in Charleston. Our show is three days long. There'll be educational programs during those three days. And after the educational programs each day, there's a trade show. And that trade show will have about 160 booth spaces, plus live demonstration featured areas. And so you can come see the biggest and best manufacturers, distributors, and educators in the industry, meet them face-to-face, -face, and then also participate in our hands-on live demonstrations and opportunity to see new technology, new ideas, and some new equipment that's being featured at the show. We also will have uh, cocktail receptions. We're working with the hotel on those. And we will also have an opportunity for you to be able to meet a lot of great people in this industry, obviously. 
The uh, show again is April 19th, 20th, and 21st. We've been working on ways to have a safe meeting, and I want you to know that we will have procedures in place, and we will be asking uh, for your cooperation, obviously. Masks are mandatory at the meeting. In the state of South Carolina, they're mandatory. We will be operating at 50% capacity. We've doubled the size of our convention space and tripled the size of our meeting room so we can have social distancing properly. We will also be doing health screenings, temperature readings, and we'll also offer an opportunity for people to decide how they feel about uh, the risk involved for themselves. We're going to offer red, yellow, and green wristbands. You will be able to pick one of these based on your comfort level. And so if you pick a, a red bracelet, you would ask for six-foot distancing. If you pick a yellow bracelet, you know, you want to get a little closer, you want to network, you'll be talking to people, everybody still will have masks on. And if you pick a, a green bracelet, then it's saying that you're okay and elbow bumps and various things are fine and uh, you want to network. So we're asking you to make those decisions. We will also bring into this show some new technology and we will be working to not only show you this new technology, which is involving light energy, but we will also be using it in our classrooms and in the trade show hall as we do everything we can to clean the environments and surfaces that we're all using. So we're really looking forward to having an opportunity to bring the industry back together. It's been way too long and we can't wait to see you at our show. I hope that you will take the time to come join us and you can find us at experiencetheevents.com. That's www.experiencetheevents.com. You register right there online. One more hint, please stay at our host hotel. That's the Embassy Suites that's attached to the convention center. And the reason we ask you to do that is if you stay there, the cocktail receptions and the uh, food that will be included in those receptions is all free. We will be subsidizing it with the hotel. It will be a great opportunity to have some fun and uh, won't cost you anything in addition. If you don't stay at our host hotel, there will be a cost associated with those receptions. Thank you so much uh, for listening in. I hope you'll consider coming to join us. We're really looking forward to a great show. Our next show after this will be in Las Vegas at the Paris Hotel. And those dates are September 8, 9, and 10. Again, September 8, 9, and 10. But do please come join us in Charleston. Registrations are filling up fast. Our trade show hall is almost sold out. And uh, we will limit the number of registrations at this show. My best to you. Hey, we're back for some final thoughts from Mike. This has been a, an eye-opening interview with you about looking at different ways to look at our service industry and the way we operate and, and manage our businesses. So if you would be so kind as to maybe throw out a couple words of advice for somebody who might be brand new coming in today or maybe started in the last couple of months, what kind of advice would you give someone new based on all the stuff that you've talked about so far today? Well, I guess the, the first thing I would say is go forth without fear. Don't be hesitant if this is something that is important to you to try. If you want to own your own business, 
you feel like this is something you can go do, absolutely go after it, but be all in. Recognize that you're going to have a lot to learn at the outset. You're going to make mistakes, and that's okay. Your success will be based upon what you do with those mistakes, how you learn from them, how you uh, how you make sure that you correct for them. So, for example, you make a mistake in a customer's home, you don't get exactly the right result. Well, I, I believe 100% that you commit to solving that problem for that customer no matter what. You do what it takes, and, and you will have a customer that believes in you if you take that time to do that. Similarly, on the business end, experiment, try different things, know that everything is not going to work out, learn your lessons, and keep track of things. One of the, the things that we have done, Dane, that we haven't spoken about, I, I built an end-to-end customer management system through Salesforce, which is this great customizable tool. It literally handles every part of our business. So everything we've ever done, every interaction we've had with every customer is there. It doesn't need to be in in a big system like that, but keep track of it. Maintain every piece of intel you get every time you go into someone's home and keep that with you so that the next time you go there, you're prepared and you can do a better job. And I guess the, the last thing that I would say is that build the business that you're going to be proud of. Build the business that is meaningful to you. Don't look at what do I think works in this market. Build the business that makes you feel like you've done something you want to tell your kids about. Wow. Uh, that's powerful. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. So, Mike, thank you for being on the Keep It Clean podcast. I appreciate it. I think we're going to get a lot of commentary on this. I'm looking forward to hearing what the folks have to say when they get to hear it. So thanks again for taking the time and I wish you all the best in the future. Uh, thanks so much, Shane. Appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you and, and uh, same to you. Well, that's the end of another edition of Keep It Clean. I hope you find our topics and guests refreshing and inspiring. And I also hope that you will like and subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. I'm your host, Dane Gregory, wishing you well in your cleaning and restoration endeavors. As always, thanks for listening, and remember to keep it clean.